So just so that you're aware, I didn't fill out one bracket. I filled out seven brackets, and all of them busted. <sighs> Maybe next year. Good morning, church. It's good to be with you this morning. God's will. God's will is a compass. It's not a GPS. God's will is a, an open floor plan. It's not a blueprint. You see, God can be pleased. He can be honored. He can be blessed. And He can bless me in more than one decision. There might be a number of decisions that I can make that would honor God. You have a big purchase. You have looked at your budget. You have found the house or the, the car. And you said, you know, this, this fits within my budget. I think I can be a good steward. I can continue to contribute to God and His kingdom. Now, some of you would like to say, well, God, should I pick the red car or the white car? I heard some of you say white. It shows all the dirt, you know. Should I, should I, pick, should I pick the Honda or the Ford? Now, God can be honored in many choices. Whether I pick the Subaru, whether I pick the Honda or the Ford or the Chevy, whether I pick the house with the white picket fence or the one that's the fixer-upper. Maybe it's a relational choice. Maybe, maybe it's marriage. Maybe it's a friendship. And some of you desperately want to know, if, should she be blonde? Or brunette? Should she be both? And perhaps the question is not, it's got to be one or the other. Maybe God could be pleased that I ask a different question like, does she or he love Jesus? Do they love me? You see, God can be pleased with more than one choice. His will is more of a compass than it is a GPS. Maybe you've got a big job offer coming up. And maybe there's two good jobs that you could take, and, and you're just trying to figure it out, like, Should I take this job over here or this job over here? Which one should it be? I mean, maybe they both pay about the same. I would have opportunities in both. Which one should I choose? And some of us would like to say, well, 
God is only going to be pleased if I choose the right one. Perhaps the right one is the one you choose. And God can join you in that decision, and you can freely enjoy God being with you. You can honor him in the decision that you make. Oh, I'm sure we could go on and on, but, uh, but I want you to hear, I want you to know, I want you to feel, I want you to make decisions differently uh, because you understand that, uh, that God, uh, most often, when we make our choices, is not looking for us to, uh, to pigeonhole and find wherever he's at. Perhaps his grace cooperates with our free will, and we may, can make any number of choices that he will be honored by. So how is it that I make good choices? Uh, when it comes down to the technique, when it comes down uh, to how I go about making the decision, how should I make good decisions? What does God's Word have to say to that? How, how do I go about finding God's will? Well, I think there's some good practical things that we can do to find God's will. And I think, quite frankly, that there's some things that are myths Sometimes I find that, that, that Christians, uh, well-being as they might be, r- really, uh, they kind of lean more on superstition than on Scripture when they make their decisions. Uh, so this morning, we're going to look at some myths about how you go about uh, making good, godly choices. And then I'm going to give you just a couple of things to think about and how you might be free to make good, godly decisions in finding God's will. We're going to look at some myths, and then we're going to look at some other things that might help you, some tears, you might say, tears of decision-making that might help you walk through how to make good choices. The first myth is simply this. In order to find God's will, I need to set out a fleece before him. Now, the idea of a fleece really comes from Scripture. Uh, If you want to join me in Judges chapter 6, we're going to encounter Gideon. He's from the least of the tribes of Israel. He He is the least in his own home, and seemingly God seems fit to appoint him to defeat the Midianites. So join me in Judges chapter 6. Page 169 in your pew Bibles in front of you. Judges chapter 6, page 169. Myth number one. In order to find God's will, I should set out a fleece. Now, here's the story of Gideon. God comes to him uh, via an angel. And he says, uh, essentially to Gideon, Gideon, I'm going to use you to defeat the Midianites, and and they're going to go away, and I'm going to use you to do it. Now, he's not quite so sure about this, so he says, hey, I... 
Can I have some sign? And, and there's this offering that is made, and the angel uh, consumes the offering. And, and Gideon now understands that he has met face to face, right? He has, he has uh, met uh, an angel face to face, and he knows the direction that God has for him. Now, here's the issue in, in laying out a fleece. Gideon already knew what God wanted him to do. He wasn't seeking to make a right decision. He already knew what the decision was. God was going to use him uh, to, to take a, a foreign army and, and expel them. That is what was going to happen. Now, he, he takes down, he, he takes down a, a basically like a totem pole, the Asherah pole, the worshiping of Baal. He takes that out. And it comes that the Midianites are gathering and he's afraid, so he, he decides that he's going to supernaturally ask God some level of confirmation, so he lays out a fleece before God. He lays out a, a fleece, you know, a, a skin from a, a sheep, most likely. Lay, lays it out on the ground. And he says, okay, God, if you really want me to do this, if you want me to do this, then, then make sure that the fleece is filled with water. All the dew is on the fleece, but everything else around it is absolutely dry. He asked for something supernatural to, to, to just confirm what it was that God had already told him to do uh, and, and so that he could move ahead. Verse 36, Gideon says to God, if you will save Israel by my hand as you promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is a dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand as you have said. And that is what happened. Gideon arose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece, wrung out the dew, and it was a bowl full of water. You would think this would be enough. Okay, I'm confirming the decision that we've already kind of confirmed. Go. Go, move. 39. Gideon said to God, Now don't be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. This time make the fleece dry and the ground wet and the ground covered with dew. That night God did so, only the fleece was dry, all the ground was covered with dew. And eventually Gideon gets on with defeating the Midianites with God's power. Now, now here's the issue. Uh, some of you may have heard about this fleece idea and said, I, in order to make decisions, I'm going to go about laying fleeces before the Lord. A couple issues. Gideon already knew what he was supposed to do. He wasn't going about trying to make a decision. He already knew what he was supposed to do, but was scared, and so he was trying to confirm it via this fleece. And it was supernatural. What he was asking God to do was, was something of supernatural value. So if you're going to use the supernatural, if you're going to use a fleece uh, to try and go about making decisions, uh, then perhaps what you need to ask for is something that God has to do supernaturally instead of superficially. 
Over the years in ministry, and I've heard many people talk about uh, laying a fleece before the Lord, oftentimes it goes something like this. Let's say it's a college, and I'm trying to decide which college I should go to. And I don't really know which college I should go to. I have three choices, and I'm not quite sure which one I want. And so I'll say, oh, I'm going to lay a fleece out before the Lord in order to make the right decision. And so I might say something like, well, uh, God, if the, if, the, uh, uh, if the acceptance letter comes on Tuesday... Then, then I will accept that as a sign from you that I should go to college A instead of college B. Well, what happens when the acceptance letter comes on Friday instead of on Tuesday? Is that, is that a sign that God is saying, don't go to college A, stay away? You see, perhaps... Perhaps we miss God's point. Perhaps we miss God's freedom of mind when we try and lay fleeces before God. Uh, Perhaps if we are going to use that, we need to do something supernatural like, God, if you want me to go to college college A, uh, please show up in my room with an angel uh, so that I am absolutely sure uh, that this is the one choice and one choice only that's going to honor you. Now, oftentimes when we lay fleeces before God, something crazy happens. We think that if it doesn't happen, the opposite is actually true. Let's say the acceptance letter doesn't come on Tuesday. It does come on Friday, and we begin to say, well, since it didn't come on Tuesday, then it must be a sign from God that I'm not supposed to attend that college. That seems dangerous to me. One of the great theologians of our time, Bart Simpson. (laughs) Shaped many young minds, hasn't he? On one occasion, Bart was trying to make a decision, and he was trying to use God's will. Uh, These were the words from Bart. He says, Dear Lord, the gods have been good to me, and I am thankful. For the first time in my life, everything is absolutely perfect the way it is. So here's the deal. You freeze everything as it is, and I won't ask for anything more. Now, if that's okay, please give me absolutely no sign. Okay, he says, deal. In gratitude, I present this offering. In gratitude, I present this offering of cookies and milk. If you want me to eat them for you, please give me absolutely no sign at all. Thank you, Lord. Thy will be done. You see, if we're going to use this method, not only does it not have to be superficial, it has to be supernatural. Uh, We have to understand that it has to be supernatural, both to the positive and to the negative. God, if I'm supposed to do this, then let this supernaturally happen. And if this is not supposed to happen, then let this supernaturally happen. And if he says nothing at all, then perhaps, uh, perhaps God is just giving you the opportunity to choose between two or three or ten or twelve really good choices. If you're wrestling on whether or not to go 
to section A or section B or section C. Perhaps God has given it to you in your mind to say, I choose A, and He will join you there. There does something to be, seem to be something uh, really quite wrong with saying, I'm going to lay a fleece out before the Lord and say something like this. God, if you don't want me to be with that person, then send me a sign that you don't want me to be with them. I remember years ago, uh, there was a, a gal who was struggling in her marriage and she had gotten involved with another man and, and she said she was laying a fleece out before the Lord. If you don't want me to be involved with this particular person, then Lord, my fleece is that you will just take these feelings from me if this is wrong. It was already wrong. We can't lay fleece up before the Lord like that. God can be honored by more than one choice. And the best way is not to be laying fleeces out before the Lord. Gideon already knew. Myth number one. Myth number two, I need to search my inner feelings in order to know what God's will is. In order to know what God's will is, I have to just search my inner feelings about it. Maybe you've heard this. Maybe you've even said it. I've probably said it a time or two myself. I just felt led to this. But what do we say when we, what are we saying when we say things like that? I, I felt led. Now, some people would say, well, it's like Elijah, you know, a still, small voice. At 1 Kings 19, you can join me there, page 247 in your pew Bibles. First uh, Kings 19. Now, you may remember the, the great story of Elijah. I mean, it's wonderful, isn't it? I mean, you have these, these few prophets of God who have been faithful. Uh, Elijah is actually one of them. And there's all these prophets of Baal, and, and Elijah gathers them together on Mount Carmel. You remember this story, maybe? He gathers them all together, and, and, and he says, all right, here's the deal. We're going to decide who the real God is, whether Baal is the real God or God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so they build altars, and, and the prophets of Baal go around, and they begin dancing around, and, and, and it doesn't seem like uh, anything is happening at all. There's no fire from heaven, not, nothing to consume uh, the, the offering that the prophets of Baal have, have brought. And, and Elijah kind of begins to taunt them. Hey, hey, uh, maybe he can't hear you. Maybe you need to yell louder. And so they, they begin to, you know, and then they begin cutting themselves like, don't you see? Here's our blood. Nothing happens. And finally, Elijah says, that's enough. Here's what's going to happen. And so he makes sure that everybody knows that this is going to be the God of Israel. And so on this offering, he, he has just gallons and gallons of water poured over the offering. Just tons of water. 
There's a ditch around the outside. It's filled. And then Elijah prays, and it's gone. It says of all the water, it was dry ground. He has this wonderful victory at the hand of God. And then there's this woman, this woman of power, Jezebel. And she hears about what Elijah has done to the prophets of Baal, and she says, oh, I'm going to come and get him. And so he, somehow, like, after this great victory, he's like, oh, what have I done? And so he begins to run away. And he runs away, and God finds him, as God always does. And he asks Elijah a question. He says, verse 9, And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here? Why are you here? It seems to be, a likely question, and he, he says, I've been zealous for the Lord. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, put your prophets to death, and I'm the only one left, which wasn't true, by the way, and now they're trying to kill me. And the Lord says, go stand out on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face, and he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Now, it's interesting. Why does he pull his cloak over his face? It's because he knew God was there. And a voice said to him, what are you doing here? And they actually have quite a conversation. Now, the myth is that in order to find God's will, I have to listen to an inner voice, an inner feeling. We might even look to Elijah and say, well, Elijah heard a still, small voice, but it was actually a voice. God was actually speaking to Elijah, uh, which would go along with his role as a prophet. So let me say this, if God wants to find you and speak to you, he is going to make sure that you understand what he is saying. Even those throughout Scripture who don't necessarily want to hear from God, hear from God. For goodness sakes, Paul in Acts chapter 9, uh, well, he was on his way to persecute Christians and he had no trouble hearing what God was saying. It was an actual voice. It wasn't an inner feeling. It wasn't an inner nudge. You see, there is danger in in aligning our feelings with divine authority. Over the years, I've seen many people actually say, I just felt led to quit my job. Really? You, really, you realize that that job is what puts food on the family for your, uh, puts uh, food on the table for your family? What pays for the house over their heads? Yeah, but I felt led. 
Folks, our feelings can be very fleeting. Now, perhaps it is that our feelings are tied with Scripture and we can begin to say, well, there was something going on in my work or in my, my relationships that I needed to cut ties with based on Scripture, but that's based on Scripture, not my feelings. My feelings can be here one moment and gone the next. Maybe you're trying to, to discern about that car, that purchase, and you drove by the, the dealership and there was an inner feeling. And you walked by the new car and it looked really nice and it was just the color that you thought you wanted. Now, being a good Christian person, you want something, uh, you want some authority from God just to tell you that, that this is okay. And so you stop and you pray for a moment and you say, and you go searching for a feeling. And that feeling comes and you drive home in your new car and you ask your wife to come out and join you in it. And she says, we, we can't afford this car. What were you thinking? You said, I felt led. She looks at you and says, you're going to feel led. <laughs> now, next week, we're going to look at the role of the Holy Spirit in our decision-making. So I'm not discounting uh, that the Holy Spirit oftentimes prompts us to something, uh, maybe even something that we can't quite completely explain. But let me also prompt you to say the Holy Spirit is not a feeling. He's not an inner nudge. He's not a prompting necessarily. So we have to be careful uh, trying to assign God's divine authority to our feelings. Maybe you've heard somebody say something like, I just needed an inner peace in order to make a decision. Now, there's been lots of times that I've had peace about a decision that I've made. But sometimes the peace comes after I've made the decision. I don't need peace in order to make the decision. In Colossians chapter 3, page 822 in your pew Bibles, Paul mentions peace ruling in our lives, but I, I want to just uh, maybe expound on the context there that gives may be light to this idea that I have to search out my inner feelings in order to make a decision. In Colossians chapter 3, I'm just going to begin in verse 12. He says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other, forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. He's talking to the church, okay? He's giving them some instruction in regards to harmony about how to live with one another, even in the midst of disagreement. Hey, uh, let's forgive each other. Let's put up with each other. Let's worship together. Let's, let's find ways of loving one another. And then in verse 15, he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. 
When he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, it's not a your individually. He's saying your all hearts, y'all's hearts. That if you're to go about making decisions, perhaps the decision uh, that you uh, need to consider as as you make decisions is, is this a peaceable decision uh, in regards to the community of God's people? Not, not my heart. You see, here's the problem. Sometimes I can feel good about something that God doesn't feel good about. Sometimes I could say I feel at peace about something that, quite frankly, I should not feel at peace about. Maybe I have a sin in my life, but I'm like, well, you know, I, I, I feel pretty good about it. I'm at peace over it. I don't, I don't need to repent because I'm at peace about it. I, I don't need to believe. I don't need to submit. Because I'm at peace about it. It's okay. Perhaps there are moments in your life in which you ought not to feel peace about something. And as we'll discover next week, perhaps this acts like the conviction of the Holy Spirit to remind us of what sin is. Maybe you shouldn't feel at peace about it. Myth number two, in order to find God's will, I need to search my inner feelings. Myth number three, in order to find God's will, I need to be an interpreter of my experiences. In order to find God's will, I need to be an interpreter of my own experiences. Now, there's probably uh, many different varieties, but I'm going to highlight two. Uh, one is uh, circumstantial experiences, and, and, and the other is, is really traumatic experiences. Let's start with the circumstantial experiences. Let's say you're driving down the highway, and you're saying, God, I don't know whether to move to Denver or to Frisco but I know that I have to move. Which, which one would you most like me to move to? And, and you're driving along and, and you're praying to God and you're saying, uh, wh- which is it? God, is it, is it Denver or is it Frisco? You're driving along. Suddenly, John Denver comes on the radio. He begins singing, Rocky Mountain High, Colorado. It's a sign. God, you've answered me through the radio. You go home after that. Ah, God gave me a sign. Sit down. First commercial on television. Come to the Golden State. Wait a minute, God, I thought you gave me the sign. John Denver was on the radio. Now you're giving me this this sign that's commercial. Have you ever made a decision that way? God, what what do you want me to do? And you see the billboard. Maybe, Maybe it's about your career. What job should I take? You're driving along the interstate, and there's a big billboard that says the Army needs you. 
You say, no, God, I know that couldn't be. If it were circumstantial, perhaps in Acts 27, Paul, when he is faced with a shipwreck, everything's breaking apart, literally. The ship's breaking apart. He ends up landing, swimming to shore on the island of Malta, which is where Dairy Queen started, by the way. I thought about not telling that joke, but if you haven't got it, just Malta, Dairy Queen. My wife's going to tell me something about that joke after the service, so... They swim to the island of Malta. Now, perhaps circumstantial evidence, circumstantial experience, Paul would say, well, God is obviously not involved in any gospel teaching here because we just shipwrecked. It was bad news. But it wasn't at all. Actually, throughout the book of Acts, the the whole message of Acts is the gospel is going to be unhindered because God's behind it. And so it doesn't matter whether you have a snake bite or a shipwreck, the gospel is going to continue. And Paul steps on shore and he begins to share the gospel and people come. And they realize who Jesus is for the first time. It's extraordinary. Uh, perhaps not just circumstantial experience, but perhaps traumatic experience. Maybe you're having a, a, a crisis about a decision in your life and uh, you're not sure which way to go. And that day you happen to be with a friend and you're like, hey, where do you want to eat? Have you ever had that conversation in a vehicle? Hey, where do you want to go? Oh, I don't care. Where do you want to go? Well, I don't care. I have no preferences. Where do you want to go? And so as you have this argument in the car back and forth, uh, where should we go? And then maybe uh, one of you just begins to say, God, where do you want us to go? And suddenly, because you're having this conversation about where you want to go and you can't decide, uh, you, you lose your focus for a moment and you rear-end the person in front of you. And it happens to be right in front of Chick-fil-A. Now, was God trying to tell you something? I mean, is that like a divine appointment to go to Chick-fil-A that day? Or were you just not paying attention? And you happen to run in the car in front of you. Maybe you're just trying to decide about two good job choices. Or you know that the job that you're in right now you want out of, and so you're like, God, what job should I take? What job should I take? And you're walking down the sidewalk, and a newspaper print comes, comes to, to, to your ankles, and you pick it up, and there is a great crane operator school uh, that, that you could enroll in today. Now, crane operators make good money, a uh, great profession. The problem is you, you don't know anything about it, and you don't have any interest in being a crane operator, but it feels like at this very moment that, uh, that in, in the midst of your trauma in your crisis, God must be telling you to be a crane operator. But it's a myth. Gang, if I, can, if I can impress upon you this, God's grace cooperates with your free will. 
And we need to begin to make decisions more on Scripture than superstition. And he can be honored by many choices. So very quickly, how, how do you make good choices? Number one, you, you ask this question. Does this, does this decision in any way conflict with God's word? Does this decision in any way conflict with God's word? Does it conflict about who I am to marry? Does it conflict with uh, what I am to buy? Does it conflict with where I should go? If it doesn't, perhaps you have already come past the first step that, that God can honor the decision because you can move forward confidently knowing that His Word is backing you. Is there anything in His Word that would keep you? Maybe you're thinking about marrying someone, but they're not a Christian. Well, that's in His Word. And you can begin to go, oh, okay, I, I got it. I need to really think through this relationship. Perhaps you're looking at buying a house that's way above your price range, but you really like it. But you recognize that if you were to buy this house, not only would it negatively impact you, it would negatively impact the church that you're a part of. And you go, yeah, you know what? That's probably not a decision I can make. Is the decision you desperately want to make, is it consistent with God's Word? The second thing, is it wise? Does it make sense for you? Is it wise? Does it make sense? Now, there's some things that you might have an opportunity to go and make that decision, but it doesn't make sense for you. And people around you are looking at you going, why would you choose that? It doesn't make sense for you. Now, maybe you've been a farmer your whole life, but you're looking to transition. But you love the outdoors, but an, uh, an opportunity has arisen for you to have a job behind a desk. You think, well, it's not against Scripture. I may not be called to it, but there's no pro prohibition, so I, I'm, I might as well just go sit behind a desk. And everyone else around you is saying, why would you do that? You hate sitting behind a desk. Do you realize how hard it is going to be to get along with you because you took this job? Is it wise? Does it make sense? And then finally, just what are your personal preferences? Do you realize that God cares about you? He cares about what you like and what you dislike. He wired you in a certain way for certain likabilities and certain other things. Some of us are sports fans and others of us aren't. Some of us would love to spend all day outside in the wilderness every day. And other of us, uh, that just sounds like a terrible day. Some of us uh, would love to go out and run 10 miles just because we can. Others of you think that that sounds like torture. You see, God gave us personal preferences. You don't have to dismiss all of your personal preferences in making good choices. So if you have a decision to make, know that, that God's grace cooperates with your free will. But there are a number of decisions that, that you can make that would honor Him.
as long as they're not against Scripture, that they're consistent with the pages of Scripture, that they make sense, that it's wise, then it makes sense for you. There's some personal preference that you want this over that. And you can be free to make great choices in God's will. All right, let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your goodness to us. And, uh, and I pray for all of us that we can learn to make great choices. Lord, I thank you for the freedom that you've given. And I pray that we'll use it well. God, thank you, for, thank you for the freedom that you've given, the mind that you've given us, and help us to make great choices. And Father, I pray that we would come more to Scripture than superstition. I pray that we would seek more the, the supernatural than we would the superficial, and that you would guide us to decisions that honor you. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. In Jesus' holy and precious name, amen.